Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Friday, March 4th. We begin with a look at the war in Ukraine through the eyes of a Calgary man who's traveled to the region to fight the Russian attack alongside the Ukrainian people. We speak with Paul Hughes, who has made his way to the city of Lviv. Next, we head stateside for our weekly conversation with Jackson Prosco, Washington Bureau Chief for Global News. Jackson breaks down a busy week in the United States with President Joe Biden's State of the Union address, as well as the latest on the American stance on the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Then we speak with Mayor Jyoti Gondek for a City Hall update. This week we discuss the proposed changes to the Municipal Act being looked at by the province. We asked the Mayor what this would mean for Calgary and why it has so many on Council concerned. And finally, Green Thumbs Unite. We speak with Tim Goodwin, Associate Editor of the Old Farmer's Almanac Garden Guide, for some inspiration for those eager to get growing. So we've been, obviously, as you can imagine, trying to reach people in Ukraine. It is very difficult right now. The, the cell service is quite sketchy, but we've been trying to get in touch all morning with Paul Hughes, who is a Calgary farmer and a former military member with the Princess Patricia Light Infantry. We managed to track him down, uh, myself and our morning show producer, Reese Schaefer, and uh, we had a couple of minutes to chat with him before we uh, had to let him go. It's pretty hectic, as you can imagine. He actually is in Ukraine right now, and uh, we'll start things off, uh, we did anyway, by asking him if Paul could tell us exactly where he is and, and what's going on around him i'm in lviv uh and uh i'm seeing just massive levels massive humanity in despair we've got to be ten thousand people here trying to get on trains people keep coming in on trains coming from uh the east are you actually in ukraine right now where are you i'm in ukraine i'm in lviv so you're watching people lviv, trying to get lviv. out of the country I'm watching people. I'm right here. Yeah, I'm surrounded by people. Are they are yeah. they terrified, Paul? What what's the state of people? What are they, how are they feeling? I wouldn't say terrified in that sense. At least they don't show it. Maybe uh, Ukrainian people are uh, overwhelming. They're just, they're just so so strong, strong and, and proud. Uh, there's just I don't know how they do it. I do not know how they do it. We have, there's so many children. They're surrounded by children. Are you and, hearing? Uh, are you hearing bombing? Are you seeing anything? Any sort of fighting not, around no, you? No, 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 no fighting, no bombing that we can hear. Sirens go off occasionally, and uh, but yeah, it's just everybody. It's just a massive press of humanity trying to get on trains, getting off trains, coming from all over the country. They're trying to leave, and you've gone into the country. Tell us why you're there. <laughs> well, I, I'm here because I, you know, I have this illusion that I might be able to help. But uh, it's uh, yeah, it's gonna take yeah. It's, I, I came to, I came to help. I came to help in some capacity. So that was my personal motivation. But I just, these people are so amazing. Just so, I'm just I'm looking at this. They just they just keep coming down the stairs. We've been watching all day from here. Grow from a crowd of about two thousand to ten thousand, and I would probably say there's even more. Sorry, I'd say there's I'd say there's even more, and it's just so many children. Paul, have you been able to link up with any of the Ukrainian forces and stuff? Or what comes next for you? Uh, there's some serious issues with that now. Apparently, you now Kiev is uh, surrounded. And uh, so we were trying to all day today because we finally got here today from Warsaw. And uh, we uh, got came in late, uh, early this morning, uh, about 6. And now we're trying, we're trying to get and all day long. It's, 
there's been a few of us trying to uh, get the key, and uh, we just it's, we can't. This is almost impossible right now. It's just absolute chaos here right now. So, and then there's also issues with it. actually if we went to Kiev, even getting weapons. So it's uh, there's all kinds of. It's, it's overwhelming that the just the sea of humanity of people that, that are displaced and uh, and, and, and Putin terrorizing this population of incredibly. We're grateful for you reaching out, Paul. Thank you so much. I'm sure the people of Ukraine are grateful that you're there trying to do whatever you can to help. Be safe, okay? Thank you so much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're welcome. Uh, your listeners can reach out to aid organizations here. There's so many independent aid organizations here trying to feed people and clothes and, and shelter. And it's uh, it's quite cold here, too, as well. So a lot of people are ill-prepared. Um, so please, uh, everybody do what they can for uh, Ukrainian people. Thanks, Paul. Be safe. I try. That is Calgarian and a former member of the Princess Patricia Light Infantry, Paul Hughes. From the State of the Union to the crisis in Ukraine, it has certainly been a busy week in the United States and around the world. Joining us to help break it all down is Jackson Prosco, Global News Washington Bureau Chief. Good morning, Jackson. Happy Friday to you. Happy Friday. All right. Where to begin? So much going on. Uh, Let's first begin uh, in the United States itself proper and talk about the latest from the U.S. Capitol riot panel. Interesting information coming out. Yeah, I know this has been overshadowed, understandably, by what's going on in Ukraine this week, but this is a substantial development. It's a court filing from the uh, committee that's investigating the January 6th attack on the U.S. Capitol building. And essentially, the panel uh, in a court filing says that they have evidence to support these allegations that uh, former President Donald Trump committed two different crimes, obstructing an official proceeding by working to disrupt the electoral vote count and conspiring against the United States. Uh, And both of those things are fairly serious, and it sort of now becomes a question of, What's done with that? Does the Justice Department, for example, act on that or some other body act on that uh, to, um, you know, see if there are charges, criminal charges that can be levied against the former president? All right. got to switch gears. And yes, indeed, it was interesting because we had the State of the Union address from President Biden. It was all focused on uh, the volatility, the war in Ukraine. And it continues to be top of mind. It seems like we've got, uh, you know, news coming out from the stance from uh, President Biden every single day, including a you know, renewed attack on the, on the oligarchs. Can you tell us the latest? Yeah, I think this is, you know, part of that concerted effort by Western governments really to put as much pressure on Vladimir Putin through as many channels as possible. And what the U.S. has announced this week is sort of in line with what other world governments are announcing, uh, which is directly going after the assets of the the oligarchs, those billionaires who support Vladimir Putin and have allowed him to stay in power. Uh, We've already seen uh, in Europe, for example, some of these luxury yachts and private planes starting to be seized. Uh, And the U.S. says it's actually developing a special branch of the uh, Justice Department. They're calling it the autocracy unit, the klepto, the klepto unit, that will go after these assets and try and find them and track them down and freeze them as best as possible. Uh, you know, a lot of uh, luxury real estate in cities like New York and Miami tied up in Russian money as one example, and those, those are things that could be potential targets. And uh, President Biden also announced during the State of the Union this week that much like Canada and the EU, the U.S. is now following the path uh, of those countries and banning Russian flights and aircraft from uh, American airspace. So lots of big developments here. Uh, Jackson, with the taking the taking of the nuclear power plant, and it looks like the bombing of you know civilians without any regard, is there any point where the Americans send in troops, perhaps, and put actual boots on the ground, or is that just not even in the cards? 
You know, it's not in the cards. Uh, in fact, uh, NATO just wrapped up a meeting of uh, foreign ministers this morning, and the idea of establishing a no-fly zone, for example, over Ukraine, uh, which the Ukrainians have requested, that was brought up, it was discussed, and it was rejected. Uh, essentially, uh, the U.S. and its allies are just wary of anything that might put them in direct conflict with Russian forces, nothing that would potentially lead to an actual uh, uh, war between these nuclear superpowers. And so they're doing everything they can to support Ukraine without direct getting directly involved i wonder you know we're hearing here and it was uh, you know kind of surprising to me but at the same time we're doing what we can we're here that uh, minister anand was talking about sending up to 4500 rocket launchers and 7500 hand grenades i guess going through poland or, or some country adjacent to ukraine doing that do you know if the u.s is doing something similar when it comes to you know providing weapons to ukraine and, and their cause yeah, they are. Uh, the, the big sort of uh, give from the U.S. is these Javelin anti-tank missiles, which have proven to be incredibly effective at uh, destroying Russian tanks and uh, equipment. And so uh, that is the type of equipment that the U.S. is moving in. Also, these Stinger anti-aircraft missiles, uh, really anything that would help Ukraine shoot down Russian jets in the sky or take out Russian tanks. That is all the type of uh, what they like to say in military jargon, legal, lethal aid that is being supplied to the Ukrainians right now. Uh, and the U.S. certainly has no problem with that. Uh, I know there's been discussion of providing fighter jets to Ukraine as well, uh, and really it would have to be former Soviet-era equipment, which a few countries in Europe still have. Uh, it, it hasn't gotten to that point yet, but it's certainly something that's being negotiated. It would involve um, uh, jets from Hungary and Poland and potentially Serbia. Mm. Jackson, just sorry to switch gears once again. I'm just seeing that this news coming down this morning. Hiring in the U.S. has uh, sped up in February. Employers adding a whole lot of jobs, almost 700,000 jobs to the economy. Uh, what's the state with with, uh, you know, jobs per se, but also with the falling COVID cases relating to that and, and getting people back in the, the workforce. Yeah, I mean, the unemployment rate is at 3.8%. That is incredible. I mean, the economy is absolutely booming right now. But the problem is that so is inflation. And so people don't really feel it. They feel like they're not actually getting ahead at a time where, uh, you know, employers are chronically short-staffed and you have to go out of your way not to have employment right now. So really, it's sort of a tale of uh, perception versus reality. The COVID situation continues to get better, and we're seeing sort of the last of the restrictions lifted anywhere that they were still in place. Um, but I will say that, you know, 1,800 Americans on average are still dying every single day from this virus. So as much as people may feel like they're done with the pandemic, it's not necessarily done with them. What about booster shots, Jackson? That's something we've been very much lasered in on here in Canada. Are people looking at booster shots down in, in the U.S.? You know, the booster campaign really stalled out, and uh, I haven't checked the latest numbers, but it was hovering around, you know, only 30 or 40 percent of the population that actually got booster shots that felt they were necessary. A bit of the blame for that, I think, falls on the White House because there was a lot of mixed messaging around this, and the Biden administration back in the fall basically promised boosters and told people to get boosters before they had actually been authorized. And then there was a whole bunch of confusion about who could get them when, and by the time it was finally authorized, the issue had almost started to fall off the radar for a lot of people. Thank you so much for the update, Jackson. There's so much going on in the world. Always appreciate your take. Thank you for joining us this morning. Have a great weekend. Appreciate it. Jackson Prosco, Washington Bureau Chief for Global News. Much going on in the city of Calgary, as always. And uh, as we do every week, we check in with the mayor of Calgary, Jyoti Gondek. We say good morning to you, Mayor. 
Good morning. How are you? Excellent. Pleasure to chat with you. Uh, let's get right to the, the the matter that really is is most being discussed and most often being talked about in the city right now. I mean, mask mandates lifted in Calgary, not in Edmonton, though. And the Premier's not happy about that, despite the fact that not too long ago, he suggested municipalities should make their own decisions about masking. So there's much talk about the Municipalities Act or Municipal Act and, and of the dangers of the UCP changing that Municipal Act and how it might set a dangerous precedent. So can you explain what the concern is behind all of this talk? Yeah, absolutely. It's called the Municipal Government Act, and it is the legislation by which uh, we have any kind of authority as a municipality, as a city. And the, I guess the proposal is that the Municipal Government Act will be opened up and there will be some sort of removal of the ability of cities to exercise um, any kind of precautions in a public health or public safety situation. Now, that's all I know, because that's all that's really been indicated. And I have to say, I don't know that this was carefully thought out within the government. I feel a lot like the premier lobbed this statement out, and then all of a sudden, everyone jumped to do something about it. It's very strange. So, so do you think that, uh, Mayor, that from our, from your viewpoint and for, you know, Calgarians and, and our rights and you know, uh, I guess sovereignty as a city, the, it's a kind of a case of the devils in the details that it has to be a little bit more specific and, uh, you know, aimed at, you know, for example, the mask mandates? Yeah, and I, I don't understand why he is going down this road at this particular time. We have asked for the MGA to be modified and changed, um, to be modernized. There's a lot of stuff in there that's dated, We've had many conversations about opening up the MGA, and to do it over masks is just strange. And I would have to say the bigger issue in all of this is the inconsistency. So as a city, we voted. We voted down making the changes on March 1st. We voted down leaving the mandate in place till March 31st, and we ultimately voted to do the same thing as the province. Now, when that public health order came out last weekend, We were as surprised as everyone else to see everything was being lifted except masks on transit. The problem for us became, with our bylaws gone, there's no opportunity for peace officers or transit officers or bylaw officers to enforce that. The public health order doesn't talk about enforcement, but it talks about masking. And we now have no jurisdiction. Very strange. So right hand, not talking to the left hand. Exactly. Yet again. Okay, uh, shifting gears because we want to make sure we get this in. And we've had a gentleman text in a couple of times about this. So curious as to the state of the situation with the three LRT stations that have been uh, closed overnight. And now with the step up of, of enforcement or of, of, you know, you've got um, the transit police, et cetera, that'll be, there'll be more of them all on the system trying to, trying to help things. So will those stations be opened up anytime soon? They will get opened up as conditions change, and I have to tell you, it's a very dynamic situation, and it is a partnership between various business units as well as um, our partners in the community. So as the situation improves, there will be openings, and we will do our best to communicate that out to the public as proactively as possible. Yeah, I mean, that's uh, simply something that's going to increase, I think, you know, as far as people going. I've talked to so many people already back at work this week. I want to talk about this because we always like to look at silver linings, Mayor. And uh, 2021, we're learning, marked a 10-year high in building uh, permit applications. Also, we're hearing from the real estate sector that they are, you know, broke some records over the past 12 months. 
maybe too early to start the parade, but what do you see when you hear uh, things like this in the real estate world? Well, you know what? It, it indicates a couple of things. Number one, there's market confidence in our city. It's a 68% increase in building permits over last year. Um, I believe it's almost uh, $4 billion. I think 3.6 for residential and 2.1 for non-residential. That's just over 21,000 building permits in total. Um, and a lot of those were for things like outdoor cafes and infills. There's a couple of um, fairly big construction permits that were issued, including the BMO Center and Vivo for Healthier Generations. So things look good. Mayor, uh, just kind of circling back in terms of safety on transit, that's obviously something that's a priority. Anything sort of, um, you know, brewing in terms of safety in the core? There were lots of complaints through the pandemic that things were getting a little sketchy. Uh, Will we see an increased presence, do you think, in the downtown area of police, for example, or is there any talk of that? You know, Sue, I think the bigger thing is that when downtown cleared out with the work-from-home order, that's when things sort of emptied out, and now the order has been lifted. And I think you see more people in the core. I believe that more, more public in public areas is going to be the resolution to that situation. And I can tell you that um, some of the issues that people were identifying of people in crisis on the streets downtown, that's being addressed by our partners um, who are working with outreach teams, particularly groups like DOPE. And I can tell you that the drop-in center and Alpha House are actively looking at how to partner with not only the police, but also downtown businesses to make sure that we are looking after the safety of not only the people coming back to work, but the folks in crisis. Mm-hmm. Good. Yeah, good stuff. Thanks so much uh, for your time, Mayor, and have a good weekend. Yeah, you have a great weekend, too. That is Mayor Jyoti Gondek. We know winter will wind down eventually. Yeah, it's cold and snowy in Calgary today, but spring is just around the corner. And the Old Farmer's Almanac Garden Guide is back, and it's just in time for a new growing season and inspiration and advice for every gardener. Joining us now is Tim Goodwin, Associate Editor of the Old Farmer's Almanac Garden Guide. Good morning to you, Tim. Thanks for being with us. Good morning, Sue. Thank you for having me. When this comes out, it's always a sign that that spring's coming, no matter what it might look like outside of our windows. So lay it on us. Tell us about uh, what we can expect to see this year and this time around and how you're going to get us ready for gardening season. Well, I know it is hard to believe that, you know, gardening season is around the corner, but, you know, trust us, it is there. Uh, So there is a lot of great stuff in this newest, latest garden guide. We uh, put a a lot of work into this and a lot of great things. You know, if you're a tomato fan or if you like to grow tomatoes, there's a great section on how some unique ways to, to improve your soil. Um, anything from using eggshells and hair and fish heads uh, to a way of dry farming where, you know, you could, if you don't have a way to give a lot of water. It's, you know, great with no irrigation, best for, you know, small and medium sized tomatoes. I was talking earlier, Tim, you know how we, you know, if you're passionate about gardening, you don't think about it just in the spring. You start thinking maybe late fall. Do you get that from a lot of the fans of the uh, Garden uh, Guide as far as uh, clamoring for it early? Absolutely. I mean, people are constantly asking us when it's going to be out and what's going to be in it. You know, it is. Gardening isn't just something when the sun is shining and the, the days are warm. And, you know, people are thinking about it all year round. People are getting seeds ready and um, you know, thinking about planting bulbs in the fall. So they really want to get a jump start on the season. And it's it's really important if you want to have those 
bright, beautiful flowers in those productive vegetable gardens. And speaking of, Tim, I think uh, the pandemic taught us, a lot of us, to get back out in the garden to grow our own food, maybe again or for the first time in many cases. And a lot of the time it was involving our children in that. And I know you're focusing in this year in the Garden Guide of, of a, a way to you know, kind of get the kids involved in it if they haven't already. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's so important to, to get the kids involved. You know, it, it's not just for, you know, their little hands to be helpers, but it's also for to teach them and give them that lifelong passion for gardening. You know, it, it's so important to give them those tips and those tools now. So as they grow, they, they want to do it for themselves when they grow up and have kids of their own, have houses of their own. Uh, I have two young children myself, and they love coming out and helping. You know, they're not always the best helpers, but they love getting their hands in the dirt, putting bulbs in, you know, after I've dug the holes. Uh, it, it's so nice decorating. I mean, the little figurines and the little spinny wind chimes, they love it. And it's, you know, you can see year after year how important it is to them and how much they look forward to it. I'm wondering, you know, because you guys do specialized things at the Old Farmer's Almanac and the Garden Guide Super Niche, is this something for the veterans? Or what if I decided, you know, 2022 is the year I'm going to put something in the ground and I'm a novice. Could I still get something from the Garden Guide? It's a great question, Andy. Yeah, I, I think it's for everybody. You know, I think people who have been gardening for, for decades will get some interesting tips or something, things they haven't tried. But for the people who are just starting out, you know, I've, I'm you know, also have been new to gardening over the last four or five years. And, and I found so many great tips in here that could really help, you know, me try new things, not, you know, not let me get discouraged when things don't work out. You know, gardening is so much about trial and error that it's so important to, you know, have those tips and really anybody could get something from this and, and put it into their yard. 100%. There's so much information with the Garden Guide itself, the physical Garden Guide, but on Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, and Twitter. We're grateful for your time this morning. Thank you so much for joining us, Tim. Thank you so much, Sue and Andy. Really appreciate it. Have a great day. You too. Tim Goodwin is the Old Farmer's Almanac Garden Guide Associate Editor, and you can go online, get tons of information at almanac.com. Thanks for downloading and listening to the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review for free at Apple Podcast, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts. And tune in to Mornings with Sue and Andy from 530 to 9 every weekday morning on 770 CHQR.